Hello and welcome to the Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds. And today I'm talking with Jerry Jenkins. Jerry is the author of a vast array of books. Uh, he worked with Billy Graham on Graham's memoir, Just As I Am. He co-wrote the mega best-selling Left Behind series with Tim LaHaye that completely transformed Christian fiction in the early 2000s. He's adapting the uh, television show, The Chosen, which is his son is the creator of, Dallas Jenkins, into a series of novels. He's written middle grade fiction. He's If, if it exists, if the genre exists, Jerry's probably written a book about it. Uh, and we are here today to discuss none of those things, at least primarily, uh, because we're going to be talking about his current project that will be releasing just as this podcast airs, which is The Dead Sea Conspiracy, the second book in the Dead Sea Chronicles. Jerry, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Josh. Great, great to be with you. Now, I want to start, and I'm sure you don't remember this, but 12 years ago, you were the first ever guest on this podcast. Uh, we Yes, we talked about your book. I think it was The Last Operative, uh, which was a rewrite of your debut novel. Um, so I'm here now, uh, 12 years later, probably about 500 or so interviews later. Uh, but welcome back, and thank you for taking a chance on somebody who was just starting out uh, because it's been a really fun 12 years, and I don't know if if that hadn't if that interview hadn't gone well, who knows if there would have been a second one. So obviously it did, and we're both here today. We're glad to play a part in your success. Thank you. Okay, so your most recent book is The Dead Sea Conspiracy. It's the second book in a series. Uh, so uh, set the book up for us. What is this series about? Yeah, basically, it's about a, a young woman in her late 30s who is an archaeologist. And a lot of people don't realize that if you're a, a true archaeologist and will be a lead on, a, on an archaeological dig, you have two earned doctorates. So here's a character that is way more educated than I am. And uh, she's also a messianic Jew. Um, so now you've got a, a woman, uh, a Christian, a Jew, um, and young, who's trying to get a, a, a permit to dig in Saudi Arabia, and she gets it. Uh, and that that brings all kinds of uh, mayhem and problems because uh, she's not terribly welcomed over there. And whatever she finds is probably going to be uh, suspected and opposed. And, and that all proves true, which makes for fun fiction. So that's, it's really a story about her. And there's all kinds of uh, uh, orbital players that make it interesting, I think. Mm -hmm. And about half of the storyline takes place in biblical times that follows the life of Tara, Abraham's father. Uh, and there's a connection between the two the two time frames. And I won't um, I, I'm not going to give anything away. I'll let you decide how much of that to talk about. But what sort of research did you do on this time frame? What drew you to this biblical story? Well, what's really interesting is is that uh, she's trying to investigate uh, and find something that that proves that basically the the division between the three major religions in the world, Judaism, Christianity, and and uh, Islam. Um, are on a, a faulty foundation. And the foundation is that um, uh, the Muslims believe that uh, it's Ishmael was the, was the son of promise of Abraham, not, uh, you know, um, grief, I'm blanking on, on, his, <laughs> uh, on his name, on Abraham. But um, what he finds is, what she finds is some evidence that shows that Abraham actually blessed both sons and asked them to live in peace. Mm -hmm. And, and um, 
So there's, uh, I want to be able to tell the story alternately. I have uh, her, her contemporary story begins the, the, the novel. And then every other chapter goes back 4,000 years to the time of Abraham's birth and, uh, and how he becomes the child of promise and, and, uh, and has these, these two sons that people say, um, they say Abraham and Ishmael uh, would have opposed each other and, the, and the Ishmael would be um, the, the son of promise. And, uh, and so if, if what she's found is right, it should ease the tensions in the Middle East and maybe even solve the Arab-Israeli crisis. And uh, so that's the fun we have. A lot of people have asked, did I write the, the, the ancient story first and the um, contemporary story and then you know weave those together? And actually, I like to write a book in the same sequence that the reader reads it. And the reason I do that is I, I probably have a little ADHD myself. I like to write my contemporary character into a corner. And just when you wonder how in the world she's going to get out of it, we go 4,000 years back to Tara and Abraham and, and all that happens there, including the Tower of Babel and all that stuff, get that character into a, a tough spot and then switch back to the contemporary. So I, I actually wrote it that way. It kept my interest. And so my hope is that it keeps readers' interest too. Mm -hmm. What, obviously when you're writing biblical fiction, and this isn't necessarily, this isn't biblical fiction, but it has, it has you know, half of the book ties to that. You, you, you limit yourself or you tie yourself to some facts of the biblical storyline. Uh, so for you, what are your, what, when you're, when you're writing this and you know, the biblical storyline, where do you say, okay, I can take some liberties here and then, okay, no, that's a step too far. I can't, you know, cross that line. Where do you know your boundaries when you're writing biblical fiction? And that's an important question because I'm doing the same thing with the chosen novels. And, and so is the chosen with, with what they show on the screen. When we get to the biblical account, we try to, to mirror it exactly because that's what scripture says happened. That's what we say happened. Um, what we're imagining is what might have led up to this. What characters we've never even heard about. You know, we, we can invent those characters and have them play off. For instance, in The Chosen, they play off the disciples and that type of thing. Or they have families, backstory. With this one, um, I have a, a lot of history from the Old Testament about Terah, that is the name of Abraham's father, and that he was a, a worshiper of many gods until he finally became the believer in the one true God. And, and that's how Abraham was raised and became this, this son of promise and the father of nations. And so I, I take a lot of uh, uh, artistic liberty and license in imagining what, what it must have been like for Terah to start out as a believer in the one true God, then get into the, the multiple, multiplicity of gods, the, the polytheism he was into, uh, to the point where uh, he, uh, Terah's wife even takes the, the baby Abram and, and moves away from her husband because she believes in the one true God. And so he has to go through all kinds of, of mayhem and trouble. And, and I think the readers are giving me that license to do that. They realize this is not from scripture, this is imagined, but it could have happened this way. Uh, we know he was a polytheist and that has all kinds of baggage with it. And so I get to imagine lots of stories there. And then when we get to the biblical events, I, I try to mirror those pretty closely so that nobody says, whoa, that would never happen. You see some second or general market writers try to imagine things like about Jesus or even about Old Testament characters that's not in scripture. And they'll have them traveling to different countries or 
going to outer space or something like that. I don't want to speculate that that far. I, I want to play it uh, and say this is credible and authentic based on what we know from scripture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's that's an important element, especially I think for the audience that, that you're writing to, it's probably going to have some familiarity with the story already and wanting to see how that all that ties in. Uh, you also you also tie into uh, Tara is a, a working alongside, working for, and probably I think more so in the in the first book in the series and the second uh, for a king called Nimrod, which is also a biblical figure. And there is another biblical event. And again, for the sake of spoilers, I won't say what it is. Um, but the, all that ties in as well. Now, that's not something that's explicit in the old testament in the book of genesis um so what what made you think that okay this all exists in, the, in this realm and these things could have tied together yeah i think that and i don't mind a little bit of spoiler there it, that does continue into into book two and uh nimrod actually gives himself the name of a god and considers himself one of the gods of the universe like the sun and the moon and all this and so Terra begins to worship these these gods, including the king, and he becomes the king's right-hand man. That really made it convenient for the story. Uh, it's it's not now. There are a lot of biblical experts who say that they do believe King Nimrod uh, had something to do with the Tower of Babel, but they can't prove it from Scripture. Um, there are extra biblical sources that they they do. So it's th- that part is speculation. But by giving him that role, we can get him in and, and see what a megalomaniac would be like. And, and how he could, could mislead people and how even Terah could be pulled away from his belief in the one true God and start worshiping multiplicity of gods. Um, so I, I did have a lot of fun with that. Um, he, he puts, uh, Nimrod actually puts him in charge of building the Tower of Babel and all kinds of uh, exciting things happen surrounding that. So you have, you have a lot of thematic elements going around both in the, the ancient storyline and the modern storyline. And it's, it's all this, this exploration of religion, an exploration of how God has revealed himself uh, to humanity. So as you're exploring that, and I think particularly as you're exploring there, the, the intersection of Christianity and Judaism and Islam, um, what, you know, like what's going through your mind or what sort of research did you do to make sure that you did justice to, you know, all three of these stories, which in all three of these religions, which do have, uh, intersecting, um, and intersecting commonalities and irreconcilable differences. Right. That's the, that's the trick. Uh, and, and of course, with with all these religions, and it happens with with several other religions as well, um, each sect or or belief you know group believes that they are the only ones that are right. Um, I do think there are uniquenesses to Christianity that happens to make that true. Um, now that comes off; it can come off as a conceit. And I you know when I was writing Left Behind, I got a lot of interviews from general market you know media who are saying, isn't this elitist and, and uh, you know, you're triumphalist, you know, you get to go to heaven, others are left behind and that type of thing. And the, the point I always want to make is, uh, people are free to believe whatever they want. And I believe in the freedom of religion. Um, I, I do think that they're, you know, it's, if they're, you know, they can't all be right. It, it just, it's, it's not possible. 
people always want to unify the religion, say they all believe the same thing. We're all trying to get to heaven and God will forgive us all and, and make it right. Um, Christianity is the one religion that where where we're not necessarily seeking God. God is, has come to us through through a person. And and it's it's really the only one where um, it acknowledges that you cannot earn your salvation. Um, you know, so many religions are they're working so hard to hope their good outweighs their bad. And I believe scripture is clear that, you know, you know, we've all gone astray and uh, there's, there's none righteous, no, not one. Um, that makes it unique. But what I want to do in the fiction is I want to have credible, skeptical characters who don't agree with my main character or with me and have cogent arguments. They're not just straw men. They're not just the, the villains because we disagree with them. They really believe what they're, what they're into. They really believe we're wrong and they say so. And they're not mad, bad people as far as how, you know, they're nice people. They're cordial and they're, now you've got militants on all sides and I portray them as well. But I try to be fair to everybody in, in the book and hope that the truth of Christianity comes through uh, between the lines, if not in the, in the dialogue. And I don't want it to be sanitized or, or a sermonette where, you know, this person just, you know, lays all out the gospel and everybody sees it and, and agrees and becomes believers. Uh, that's not real life. That's not authentic. Um, so I'm hoping that even people from other religions who are reading this will say, I was represented accurately here. Uh, I may, I still, you know, believe this, or maybe I've got convinced somehow, but I hope they see um, that I'm trying to be reasonable and, and lay out a, a logical argument. Mm -hmm. The the present day storyline, it, it deals very heavily in archaeology. Obviously, the main character is uh, trying to find this, this evidence she hopes for the Judeo-Christian faith. The country that she's in, Saudi Arabia, is hoping that it will maybe provide some light onto Islam, um, which is a, a main tension in the story, um, how did you go about making sure that you got all these archaeological details right? Like, is, are there archaeological digs in Saudi Arabia? Because I think we hear about them in areas of the Middle East. Saudi Arabia is a little more closed off. We don't really hear about things coming out of there. But that is such a biblically rich, historically rich region of the world. Yeah, I had a consultant on, on both these novels. Uh, his name is Dr. Craig Evans. He's a professor at Houston Theological Seminary, Houston Baptist. And he is the smartest guy in the room, no matter what the room is. Um, and he's also an archaeologist. And so everything in there that has to do with archaeology, uh, even the, the mundane things like what kind of equipment they use and what time they schedule their day based on how hot it's going to be and how they build the tents to protect them from the sun and and uh, how they um, uh, log each piece that they find and that type of thing, where they dig. That's all stuff that he, he has vetted um, and really adds some authenticity to it. So I had fun. I, I felt like I went to the, to the Craig Evans uh, seminary and, uh, and, and got a lesson. Um, so that, that's, that's how I do it. I, I really, um, I'm not a, a theologian or a scholar, and I'm certainly not an archaeologist, but I needed that expert input, and he, he provided it. Mm -hmm. What what aspect of the archaeology did you find most interesting or uh, where did you think of, well, I didn't, you know, this isn't a, something that if you hadn't had that information, you definitely would not have written it that way. 
Yeah, I learned a lot. Um, I learned a lot about how they, um, even the things they put around the, the, the stakes that they put in the ground to hold the, the, the sun coverings up. Um, he said, you, you might want to tell that there are tennis balls all over because they cut tennis balls to put there so people don't trip over the, those things and, and fall in the hole and stuff like that. Uh, I learned a lot about um, how, you know, you don't just go down there and start digging. You have to do it just layer by layer. And every layer obviously gets older. So you, you have breaks and you find out, you know, this is a different generation now. We've got different kinds of metal or different kinds of pottery and that type of thing. Um, so that was, that was fascinating. I, I even enjoyed hearing about uh, how a team is brought together and how they, they might stay at a hotel nearby. Um, they might have a little breakfast at the hotel, but then mid-morning, they have to feed them lots of water, lots of fruit that has water in it because people get dehydrated, um, where, the, where the equipment is stored. And also when they discover things, especially in Saudi Arabia, no matter what you discover, she could have discovered you know, something just absolutely priceless. And there's no way she's taken that out of the country. That belongs to the Saudis. And all this stuff has to be reported to the Saudis and they have to supervise it, et cetera. And really the basic part of the story is she does find something that is really revealing and, and would, would ease tensions in the Middle East and shows how uh, Ishmael and, and uh, Abraham would cooperate and that type of thing. And it's discounted by the Saudis, which they would do. It would be in their interest to, to do that. And, and it makes sense. Um, so, so she runs into all kinds of roadblocks, but because it's fiction, the reader is buying into the story. They're, they're, willingly suspending disbelief and saying, okay, this is the, the story is in essence true in this context. So she did find it. Now it's being discounted and she's being discounted and it may never come to light in the world. She may, may say it until she dies that she found this, but there'll be no proof because the Saudis own this and they won't let it out. So um, that, that makes it all fun, more fun for the story, I think. Mm -hmm. um, as for this book, I'm, I'm thinking that the first book came out dead sea rising it came out in 2018 so it's been it's been a few years uh normally when you're writing a series it's a little more you know maybe one a year or such uh, i was curious why the long gap between book one and book two actually to be totally transparent book one didn't take off right away and i didn't know if i'd write a book two um, it, it came out it did okay but it wasn't one of those where people are saying i gotta have the sequel what's next and, uh, and so we thought, well, maybe we won't do one. And then it started to pick up. And then the publisher was saying, we do, we are going to want a sequel. Let's, let's uh, get that in the works. And of course I had other things in the way I've got, you know, I'm, I'm a full-time writer with contracts. And so it just had to fit into the schedule. Uh, fortunately, we're finding that people really wanted the second book. And so there's, there's been a lot of uh, interest building up for the, the, you know, finally the, the release of the sequel. So um, I would prefer a closer gap too, but apparently it's not going to hurt this, this, and, uh, I, I hope people are happy when they finally see it. Yeah. Cause I had gone back to, I know when, when, uh, publicist Gene Wynn reached out to me and asked if I would, um, read the book and, and have you on the podcast program. I said, yes. And she didn't even tell me the title of the book. So I, I <laughs> we ended our conversation and I was like, I don't actually know what book she's talking about. Um, so then, you know, went to Amazon and, and saw what you're, you know, 
upcoming release was. I'm like, well, that book, that sounds really familiar to something that I heard, you know, years ago and then went back to it. I'm like, okay, well, there was a book one and now it's book two. And um, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, some of the, it's the way the industry works. Some of those things take a while and obviously you have, you have other commitments as well. Um, I guess it's, it's good to know that, that no matter the author, no matter what you've done, there, there are some books where that's just their journey. That's just their story. And that's a part of um, how it works. Having a hit is not an automatic, even with somebody that's had success and visibility. Um, you know, you have some winners and you have some losers. And we thought at first, well, maybe this just it didn't catch on, but it was just a slow growth. And then it started to really pick up. One of the fun things was that I did have time because during that gap, I was thinking, well, if I do write a sequel, what, where, where might I go? And one of the things that I, I thought of, um, because I have this huge historical biblical chart of when people were born and when they died and who overlapped what. And because the, the you know, people lived so long in, in Noah's day, you know, Methuselah uh, apparently died the year of the flood. Um, they lived so long that they they overlap some of the people that you wouldn't expect. And so I, I as I studied that, in this book, I actually have Abraham going to visit one of Noah's sons who was on the ark and have him tell him the story. So that's, I had a great fun with that. I think readers will enjoy it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so now you've had, you know, book one, years book two are there plans for a book three where does the story go from here i wrote this one as if it was the the end of the story um the only only thing that would change that is if it if it was really huge if people just you know loved it and said give us more stories about nicole berman that's the name of the the uh, archaeologist because there's places i can go with her story but, but as far as finishing uh, Tara and Abraham, that story is pretty much, you know, complete. And I would, um, would go a different direction with the alternate chapters in, in, in something further. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed like that was, that was pretty much the end of that story, but you never, you know, you never know. There's, oh, there's this wealth of obviously fiction you can do. You can do pretty much anything. The question is whether or not you should, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that the story should go there. Uh, I want to switch, uh, kind of topics a little bit. Um, you, have you know a long history in the writing industry you've had a lot of success you've mentored a lot of uh, christian authors what advice do you have for new writers well one thing that that uh, might sound counterintuitive but a, a lot of new writers in fact they're they're my market i teach writing online i've got about 2000 online students at jerryjenkins.com but most of these writers come to me with the idea that they want to start their writing career with a book. And I actually tell them, a book is not where you start. A book is where you arrive. Starting your writing career with a book is sort of like a five-year-old who should be going to kindergarten uh, applying for graduate school. There are things you need to learn and, and learn in stages and in sequence, and then you arrive at graduate school. Same thing with a book. Write shorter stuff. Send it to you know online e-zines uh, or, or physical magazines, uh, write blogs, journal, learn to work with an editor, learn the business, and uh, get about a quarter million cliches out of your system, and then start thinking about a book. So that'd be my, my top uh, piece of advice for new writers. Mm-hmm. How have you seen the writing industry change? Obviously, uh, when, you, when, you, you know, when you first started in the industry, um, pre-internet, 
And now we have um, self-publishing where people are publishing completely digitally on the internet. The way the industry has moved in the past, even 10 years, let alone 20, 30, 40 years, um, has been tremendous. What sort of changes have you seen, particularly within the realm of Christian fiction? Well, I think Christian fiction has become much better. It's become more real and authentic and, and gritty, like it needs to be. Uh, tells some hard stories the way the Bible does. But as far as the industry itself, the idea that anybody can get, they can publish anything anytime because they can self-publish. Uh, I don't see that as a positive. Uh, I think it's really watered down the quality. Uh, so many people who self-publish don't invest in a good editor, in a good cover, in a good proofreader. Sometimes they don't even invest in a good company to make the book look like a real book. Um, and my, what I tell my writers, my writing students, is why pay to be printed when you can get paid to be published? And there's a big difference. I mean, there are self-publishing companies out there. There's some good ones too. And I don't, I, and there is a place for self-publishing. Uh, I've occasionally self-published in certain circumstances, but if you're trying to break into the business, self-publishing is not the way to go unless you, you have something very esoteric that's not intended to sell in thousands, but only to sell in the hundreds. Um, the problem is that um, if you sent the alphabet to, a, to some self-publishing companies along with your check, they'd print it. If that's what you want printed, they'll print it. And, and, but when you try to publish with a traditional publishing company where they pay you and they take all the financial responsibility, um, they're vetting you and it's, it's very hard to get published. You know, sometimes one in a thousand things gets published, but when it gets published, you know it's been through that process and it's legitimate. But people often will come to me and say, I'm a published author too. And I say, oh, who published you? And they tell me ABC Publishing or whatever. I haven't heard of it. I know what I'm going to see. I'm going to see a book with, you know, a mediocre cover, uh, very little proofreading and hardly any editing. They'll misspell acknowledgments. They'll misspell forward, things like that. They just give it away. Um, now, I, and I have to, to say, there are, there are companies that are, are much more legitimate than that. And they'll say, look, this isn't ready and you need more help. The problem is it's going to cost you. Uh, I'd rather see people try to get published and get paid for it rather than the other way around. Mm -hmm. uh, you are writing or adapting into novel form um, from the TV series, The Chosen, uh, which for those of you out there, if you haven't heard of The Chosen, um, you need to. Uh, it is a, a, well, actually, Jerry, I'll just let you talk about it because I'm sure you have more knowledge about it than I do. Um, how did, how did, obviously I, I know probably what the conversation was on, on how this became a novelization, uh, but it's kind of interesting because you go from your, your biblical content to a TV series and now it's back into a written form. Um, how do you, how does that process change? What has your involvement been with the TV series as you work on the adaptations? Yeah, this is really kind of a backward process because most, as most people know, TV series or movies are usually based on books. Well, the, the chosen is based on the Bible, but my novels are based on the TV series. So uh, it goes from the Bible to Dallas and his co-writers imagining events that might have led up to the actual events from the Bible. And they put that on screen. And then I watch those episodes at least 20 times each. I never get tired of one scene. They all move me emotionally. And, and then I write a novel and I'm 
imagining even more backstory and more inner dialogue, inner monologue, and, uh, and creating this. And, and fortunately, the viewers and the readers give us this literary license. They know what, they can tell which parts are actually from scripture. And they can tell also, I think, the authenticity of the backstories we've imagined that they, that they make sense. It, it, uh, it's a logical following. And uh, so that's, um, that's what I get to do. I kind of, you know, this, this was really Dallas's project. I mean, I helped him get started in the movie business years ago and he was in Hollywood for many years. But on this one, I kind of pressed my nose up against the glass and said, can I play too? Because it's, it's become an international phenomenon, almost a half a billion views now in every country in more than 50 languages. And uh, it's, it's just the, the hottest thing going. I couldn't be prouder of it. Uh, my wife and I are soon to go down uh, to the set in Texas and, and uh, be with the family and watch him do his thing. Yeah, it's been exciting to see it really explode. My my in-laws were one of the first financial backers, but back when it was, I think, a Kickstarter, uh, you know, back when it started, and they were just extras on the Feeding the 5,000 episode last month. Um, so it, it's it's been great to see how that how that's been received uh, and, and now how it's sort of moving out, branching out into other media so that people can continue to explore that world and continue. I think it's I think it's important Obviously, scripture is paramount. It's so important, but it's also important that we think imaginatively uh, and realistically about biblical characters, uh, whether it's in this book that you've written in Dead Sea Conspiracy and talking about Terah and Abraham, uh, but to really see that these, these aren't just stories on a page. Uh, this is a representation of very real lives that are very nuanced and, um, and that it's okay for us to, to imagine uh, about them and fictionalize them and to try to understand them better through the context of story. And I think it works because it, it makes these real people. When I used to read scripture, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those who fits the cliche of being raised in the church, been reading the Bible since before kindergarten. And I always imagined Jesus and the disciples as sort of stained glass window paintings and statues and or old men with big gray beards. And here this story brings them to life as real people with problems and flaws. And obviously, Jesus has no flaws. But the, but the identifiable thing there is Jesus is given a sense of humor, which I think is hinted at in scripture. But here it's sort of played out. And uh, he becomes a cool guy you'd like to hang with. He's not, I mean, he's 100% God, but he's also 100% man. So he would be a good friend and, and a fun person. And people are saying that all over the world, saying that this gives me a whole new view. And our goal is to get people back into the scripture, not to replace scripture. We want them back in church, back in, this, in the scripture and, and uh, getting to know Jesus in a new way. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll just, just sort of wrap things up. Uh, I want to talk about, obviously, you have this book just coming out here and as we're recording this at the end of July, so um, still a couple of months before this book comes out. Uh, so I always feel bad asking this question of authors because they're they're fully committed to this project that's coming out. But I also know they're usually writing something in the moment uh, that probably has just as much of their mind, if not more, than the book that's finished and you know moving toward publication. So what what are you working on right now? Actually, I have three projects in the works. That may come as a surprise to people that know I started my career back when rainbows were black and white. But I'm still, I, I don't want to be that, that writing teacher who used to write. I want to be the writing teacher who's still in the game. And so uh, I'm working on uh, 
novel three for the Left Behind series. I have the scripts and I'm you know eager to see the, the uh, finished versions on the screen. Um, I'm doing uh, a rewrite of my book, Hedges, Loving Your Marriage Enough to Protect It, which is a book about protecting yourself from infidelity. And that's a book that I wrote over 30 years ago, and it's had several iterations, but it's unfortunately, it's, it's needed more now than, than ever. So that'll be a, a, an update and, and re rewrite. And then I'm doing a sequel to a book I did a couple of years ago with uh, the then manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, Mike Matheny. It was called the Matheny Manifesto. And uh, we're doing a new one called the Dad Coach, which is for, for dads that are pressed into service, uh, coaching their kids' teams. He's an outstanding believer and, and real man of character, and he's got a lot of great things to say. So I'll be having fun with those projects down the road. All right, and what was the first project that you said? Because you said Left Behind. Now, the first one, first one is uh, uh, the third book in the, in the, did I say Left Behind? You said Left third Behind. <laughs> just making sure, just making sure. See how old I am? Uh, <laughs> third book in the Chosen series. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I was like, oh, we're about to break some news here. I'm, I'm sure that if uh, if you called Tyndale and you said, hey, I want to write another Left Behind novel, I'm, I'm pretty sure they'd take you up on it. Um, well, the, the irony of that is that uh, Dallas would like to do Left Behind as a, as a series the way he did The Chosen, which I think would be a killer. Now, that's not an announcement. There'd be a lot of hoops to jump through first, but boy, I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, well, I, the last question I had for you, and you, you've kind of already answered it for me, is that you are definitely at a, at a point in your life, in your career, where you could you could retire and you could just say, you know, it's been a great career. Uh, what is it that keeps you going and, and every day just showing up to put words on the page? Well, I don't see retirement in the Bible. And, and also, I don't want to sound falsely modest, but I honestly believe that I am mono-gifted. I have one gift. And that's the writing, which has allowed me to fulfill this call of full-time Christian work. But I feel obligated to exercise that. Um, yeah, I don't need to write. I don't need to look for other sources of income, that type of thing. But, uh, but I am called to full-time Christian work and to getting the, the word out. And I want to do that. Uh, I want to die with my boots on. Well, Jerry, thank you for taking time out of your day to be on the podcast. Again, the book is Dead Sea Conspiracy. It's releasing uh the middle of september do you know the exact date actually august 23rd august about 23rd three... okay i had september in my mind for some reason so august 23rd uh the book is releasing and uh if you you can go out and pick up book one right now and uh by the time that book two comes out you'll uh you'll be ready for it so jerry again thank you for your time thank you josh great to be with you